Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast, will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's 3.11 a.m. in Salt Lake City, Utah, and you're listening to Night Call. Welcome to Night Call, a call-in show for our dystopian reality. I'm Molly Lambert, and with me today is... Tess Lynch, and Emily will not be joining us this week. She is off, so we will be celebrating Friday the 13th without Emily, pouring one out for her. Speaking of Friday the 13th, last week's episode got a lot of responses, both positive and negative, about the devil's devil's tone playing underneath our episode. Um, we are very, very sorry for the, you know, for upsetting people. We didn't intend to do that. We thought it was a cool Easter egg, but we didn't, we, we didn't anticipate people being upset. And we're so sorry if you were upset. I guess that means it works. I guess so. (laughs) We didn't, we didn't actually try to possess you, but if that was, um, alarming to you, we're, we're really sorry. Uh, speaking of which we have a voicemail, so let's roll it. Hi, Night Call. This is O from Alaska, um, longtime listener. Just listened to your episode on demonic possession and YouTube, and I really enjoyed it, but also was obviously a little bit uncomfortable with the topic. Um, but as the podcast played on and on, I started feeling uncomfortable rather than just like the mental aspect of uncomfortable of hearing the story. And it turns out that there was like a low drone on the feedback of the episode. And I double guessed myself and actually went back through the episode, listened to the earlier part and then contrasted that with the component that was about YouTube and demonic possession. And there actually is an undertone to that part of the Night Call podcast. Um, kind of freaked me out. Don't know if it was intentional or if this was something that uh, may have been accidentally unleashed. Anyways, huge fan of the pod. Keep it up. Thanks. Bye. Um, we will go ahead and spoil it for you. It was intentional. <laughs> It was well, not like we accident. said, yeah, it's funny when we were when I was editing. So Doug, our producer Doug put it in. Um, that is, it would have been way beyond our technological capabilities to do ourselves. But uh, when I was editing the episode, when I was listening to it for notes, I didn't hear it. And uh, and when Doug was like, "Did you hear the tone?" 
I was like, no. I didn't hear it either. I, okay, I think that I just, makes me feel less crazy. <laughs> well, I think I thought it was, you know, like my my air purifier or something. I definitely heard a sound, but I thought it was like from outside. Yep. Um, it, and I don't know if it made me feel unnerved. I think I've just been feeling so unnerved because of current events that I probably just figure every external thing that's making me feel unnerved. I'm like, well, it's just that's our state of being now. There's nothing weird about hearing funny noises. Um, but we also got a night email explaining exactly what the devil's tritone is. Um, so this comes from Goth Mom Light. Hey, friends. Just finished episode 133 in which y'all speculated as to which note could be the devil's note, a.k.a. the tritone. In simple terms, a tritone is not a particular note, but a particular distance between two notes, a.k.a. an interval. In a C scale, for instance, the distance from C to F is a perfect fourth, harmonious, and from C to G is a perfect fifth, also harmonious. But in between the F and G, there's an F sharp, an augmented fourth slash diminished fifth from C, and the distance from C to F sharp is a tritone three adjacent whole steps slash six adjacent half steps. The sound of this interval being played was considered so inharmonious, so fraught with tension, that it seemed an apt abode for the evil one back in the day. And you probably are more familiar with what it sounds like than you think. In the opening theme for The Simpsons, the distance between the first two notes on which you sing the simp is a tritone. You hear the tritone when, Tommy, when Tony exultantly sings Maria from West Side Story. Marie, I'm sorry for singing, by the way. That's Don't an aside. be sorry. <laughs> hear both, your beautiful voice. <laughs> both tritones naturally resolve their tensions by going to the following notes, which are a perfect fifth away from the starting notes on sons and A, respectively. You can also try playing these notes on a virtual keyboard, which has the note names helpfully placed on the keys. Goth Mom Life. Thank you, Goth Mom Life. No, Goth Mom Light. Oh, Goth Mom Light. Not full goth. Not full light goth. goth. Light. Uh, what a great email. I am so interested in music theory stuff like this that I don't really understand. It's like science or math to me where I'm like, God, I love talking to somebody who knows what they're talking about yeah. when it comes to music theory. Uh, this is so interesting. Do you play any instruments, Molly? Who, me? Yeah. Uh, I mean, sort of. Not well. I what mean, do you play? I, I can play the guitar and the piano a little bit, but I can I can read music. Can you read music? Of course I can't read music. Okay, but we were in chorus together. Uh, you know, I think you went on to what was the like varsity version? No, of I didn't go on. I didn't get into oh. the varsity version. I got I didn't, stuck in JV. No, me too. Um, I was in concert singers, which was the JV. Yeah, concert singers. Because I couldn't sight sing, which is where you can see, a, see, you know, read music off the page and know what the notes are. I thought uh, that was just considered reading music. Well, I think it's like if you've heard something once, then you can do it back. That's the sense in which I can read music. You know, uh, you can find it. But um, just being able to look at a note on the page and, and sing it. We know people who can do that. But yeah. um, I, I would like to know more about the tritone. I would like to know more about intervals. If there are any other cool intervals, please call us and tell us about them. Yes, please. I'm very interested in this as well. I also it makes it's one of those things that makes me feel dumb um, and like ashamed of how dumb I am that I'm trying to understand an interval as an adult person. And I'm like, it's still hard. Still doesn't come easy. Well, I like the example she used of uh, The Simpsons and yeah, Maria. Because those are both like it goes to a goth note and then it resolves with a with a fifth. But it's funny to think about. You could just make those songs goth if you change, change some <laughs> yeah. of the notes. Make them unsettling. Well, it's um, like the thing everyone does where you turn Christmas songs into Hanukkah songs by just like changing them into a minor key. Oh. <laughs> Have you ever heard of this? No, but I would love to hear examples. Um, the examples are just like if you take jingle bells and you make it like jingle bells, jingle bells. You know, you can just like if you change. But yeah, I mean, anything about the way tones make you feel and the way that different notes affect people physically is interesting. So it's really interesting to hear that so many people were physically affected by yeah, the devil's sorry. tritone. We're sorry if you if you got the devil in you because of this, but we're glad that music works. 
Yes, music is effective. Um, the worst kind of like auditory experience I've ever had. Well, one of them, there was this one season of American Idol where they had um, a group song, like a medley, and everyone was off key. I think they may have been having like, you know, mic issues or earphone issues. Um, and everybody was doing kind of like a 60s medley where they were supposed to be going like, do, do, do. But everyone was so off that it was like the asynchronous noise, but a lot of people doing it really with a lot of enthusiasm. It made a sound that was like, uh, is it like and a it wolf tone? <laughs> it was the kind of thing that gave you chills. It was just absolutely horrendous. You know, when I always get that feeling is when you hear a group of people sing happy birthday. Well, are you familiar with what happens on Zoom when you sing happy birthday and everybody's kind of like, everyone gets no. a little bit muted? So there was a music class that my son's Zoom school was doing and we we had to take him out of it because we couldn't stand how it sounded and then we've done you know we've been to zoom birthday parties and stuff where people will sing happy birthday but it just kind of like mutes people so that some people come to the fore you know with their voices but then there's like this weird background hum everyone's super off key and it just doesn't translate well I mean, like many things on Zoom. That's what's so funny. I thought you were going to say like, because it's copyrighted. So they're like, ha, no, <laughs> you can't sing this. Um, although I think the copyright finally went out. Are you talking about Happy Birthday? Yeah, the Happy Birthday song is, is belongs to some... copyrighted? Yeah, it was written by a teacher in the 20th century and she owns the rights to it. And that's why they don't sing it in movies sometimes. What? Yeah. Is that why at TGI Fridays and places like that, when they do the birthday song, it's a different song? Yes. Am I blowing your mind? Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was just like TGI Fridays had their own song, but it was that they could not co-opt Happy Birthday. It's that they didn't want to pay for Happy Birthday, and and you had to pay someone to sing Happy Birthday, which is crazy because you think of it as the song that just exists in the ether. Yeah. If you change the tune of Happy Birthday, but you still sing the lyrics to Happy Birthday... Do you think that that would count as a copyright infringement? I don't know. The original song was Good Morning and it became Happy Birthday. So it was like, good morning to you, good morning to you. And it was a song that a teacher made up and then it became the Happy Birthday song and it became it everywhere. I don't know if Felice uh, Cumpleaños or anything is... is uh, Right, if you just did it in a different language. That's so interesting. Well, I think it has to be the melody that's copyrighted rather than maybe it's only if you I think do it has I would assume it's the combo. But I do think it went back into the public domain finally. So now oh, you can sing happy birthday. Good. I haven't been singing it, so no one come after <laughs> me. I made my own. I've always thought it's like the hardest song to sing in a group because Nobody ever starts a note. No one's ever like, we're starting here. Everybody starts wherever they feel like they want to start. And there's something about it. I don't know if it has the devil's tritone in it, but it's like when people sing it together, it always sounds demonic. Yeah. And then there's the high note and there's that weird, like everyone's kind of suspended in this moment where you're like, are you going to go for the high note or are you just going to drop out and then see if anyone goes for the high note? which is on the deer. Fact check from Doug. He says, you can cover any song live without payment. It's only if you record it and release it. So ah. what if we sang happy birthday on this podcast? Would we get in trouble? If, um, right. I mean, we've done, a, we've done plenty of singing on this he podcast, says no. by the he way. He says okay, no, good. we can't get in trouble, even though we're recording and releasing it. I think we might get in trouble for our listeners because us singing happy birthday might be worse than the devil's tritone. Well, it's definitely in the same zone. Happy yes. night call <laughs> to you. Happy, happy night call to you. See what happens on you. Zoom. We're recording this over Zoom right now and you can see. Really? Although they won't hear it. Yes. That when we sing it, you drop out and then I'm coming through, but then you kind of come back in. See, it's a this mess. Is- this is bad for my idea, my my dream idea of starting a close-knit harmony group that I've really been feeling like doing. Over during, Zoom? Just the worst possible time to be like, gee, I'd love to sing in tight-knit harmonies with other people. <laughs> like, Well, it's can- Molly, the holidays are coming. You know, you can go oh, door yeah. to door. 
You no, should I record. Can't, I can't, Tess, I can't go door to door. That's true. <laughs> you can stand on a balcony, right? And then invite people to open their windows and look out. You can be like right. Evita. But I was yeah. thinking like if I wanted to harmonize with people, like you literally can't in real life. It's very, that's one of the biggest bummers about COVID to me is that. You can't harmonize. Of, well, one of the things I love in life is ambient singing, people just like singing as they go about their day. You know, people like singing that work at construction sites and people like singing under their breath in the grocery store and everyone's doing it along with the songs on the, on the you know, the stereo. And we can't do any of those things anymore. Yeah. And sometimes I sing like in my mask and then I feel guilty about it. You can't feel guilt. I sang the other day. Um, I was listening to Billy Joel's I Go to Extremes, like by choice. And then one minute later, I walked into Rite Aid with my like double mask, had to get melatonin. I go into Rite Aid and it was like they started playing I Go to Extremes and I wow. just heard it. And that's a song I've been practicing for my karaoke song, if karaoke ever comes back. And I had to sing it in my mask. Well, I didn't even feel bad. I was like, it's in my mask. I'm singing it quietly. It's fine. No, I'm always doing it quietly in my mask. But even then, I'm like, oh, it's sad that we can't all just be singing. I go to extremes yeah. out loud in the CVS, as is my dream. Yep. Uh, I have to ask off that. How's your feud going with your neighbors who only listen to Billy Joel's Glass Houses? Thank you. For, I, I don't like to bring this up like all the time. Um, I do bring it up pretty often. And I and I got nervous that my neighbors were on to me. Um, but I don't think they are. So I'll talk about it. So I have neighbors, not on my street, on the one street over. And they back up to my house. And every Friday from March until about a month ago, every Friday, they play the same Billy Joel and it's the stranger they play the stranger oh it's the stranger it's the stranger and it's weird because so they've also had people over consistently like they have small parties which drives me bonkers and my husband's like let them who knows they're in a pod maybe like let you know you don't know enough to judge but I do judge and then more than anything I judge them playing an album that's like kind of a downer you know I might say like a real downer and a inflicting Billy it on people. is a little depressing. Yeah, oh, who would have thought? But it's weird because like the idea that you're going to play an album outside at a loud volume during a time when everyone's like on the brink of a nervous breakdown just to like nudge them over that cliff. I was like, that's so wrong. So then we got into a feud where I would play music that didn't go well. Like either I'd play really like latter day Billy Joel, which I'm assuming <laughs> as Billy Joel purist, they didn't want to hear. What, like River of Dreams? I played River of Dreams, and then I, but my guilty pleasure is Keeping the Faith. Oh, because I, I love Keeping the Faith. I love it. Um, especially when they're playing like Just the Way You Are and Always a Woman and stuff. I want to shut it down with Keeping the Faith. Keeping the Faith is another one of the reasons I thought Billy Joel was an Italian Catholic. Of course, not, it, it, he's cosplaying as an Italian he's Catholic cosplaying all as the an time. Itali right, because because he's a New York Jew and it's all kind of the same. And he's obsessed and, and in Only the Good Die Young, it's like all about being Catholic, which of yeah, course, it, right, if you're Jewish, he, if you're Catholic, there's a ton of overlap. And so. as somebody who's Jewish and Catholic, mm -hmm. I really live in Billy Joel's New York. Yeah, of, you do. Of the mind. I really want um, Jack Antonoff and his girlfriend who looks a lot like Christy Brinkley to just do a remake the Keep in the Faith video. Oh, that would, I mean, someone needs to remake I just, that video. I love that video. <laughs> and a mint called Sen Sen is a line also. It, it, that's the what's so thing. funny is he lives in the 60s, 80s. That's like Billy yes. Joel's whole vibe is the 60s, 80s. And that Keep in the Faith was like, I think right before he kind of came to terms with how old he was and like, not that he was very old, but I think he no, was all of a sudden like, oh, am I like trying to be cool? Like he was having kind of a crisis. So the whole River of Dreams keeping the faith era was really about that. He's not cool. I mean, that's like what's cool about Billy Joel is he's never been like a cool guy. He's and a piano like, man. He's a piano man. He's not like a sexy rock star in any way. He's like a bar fly. Um, but he obviously writes a lot of songs about his own feelings about being cool. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping the faith being the prime example. And Captain Jack, of course. There's something about when 
people just listen to one album, though, that I'm always like, what is the deal? Like, do you not know this person has other albums or like? That, well, yeah. I mean, and and it's for me, I have albums that like set a mood, but and I'll listen to them when I'm in that mood. But I can't imagine being in the same mood from March until October. Yeah, I always just assume it's that they have one record. But they don't because they also have teenage children. So sometimes the teenage children take over and we're like, ooh, okay. This is what the kids are listening. The what kids do they who play are like they play like a hundred gecks. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, I I literally sit there like shazamming it so that I feel clued in uh to what the kids like because my my kids are very particular about music and my son is a rockist and he only listens to The White Stripes and Cheap Trick. That's uh, so funny. Which is really funny. Yeah. And yeah, you, you can't talk kids into No, totally. My brother's they, yeah. my brother's son has turned out goth and not at all through like my my brother and his wife trying to make him goth cuz they're not particularly goth. He just was born goth and he just wants to listen to Warren Zevon's Werewolves of London. That's amazing. And like watch Halloween shows, even though Halloween is over. Uh, so maybe that's where the people who are listening to The Stranger come from. They're just, uh, that's just who they are. They're The Stranger. They're, they're Joel Goth. I used to live behind somebody. I, I don't know. Also, like when somebody plays a record from far away and you can't control it and you just hear it drifting into your house all the time. I had a good version of this where somebody who lived behind me would play the soundtrack to Xanadu over and over Ooh. again. But it was the same thing where every time I was like, oh, what are they listening to today at that house back there? Oh, it sounds like they're listening to Xanadu again. Again. Well, it's kind of a form of torture and it's kind of what we did accidentally, like what we inflicted on our listeners with the Devil's Tritone. It's a, it's a horrible feeling when you don't have control about what goes in your ears and it's like, manipulative you know right and if you play anything enough times it would make somebody go a little bit crazy oh yeah anything with no variation mm-hmm. As and we were I, talking I about, love Billy Joel by the way but this was just yes. it, it just became it really became some kind of weird message from next door of like we're doing this to you we're doing it to us we're all we'll, we will all go down together as Billy Joel famously <laughs> sung <laughs> and we're living here in Allentown um, we should take a quick break When we come back, we have some emails and some dream stuff. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts 
I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes. I guess identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We got a night email about some really interesting stuff related to the Sphinx. Hi, Night Call. I was going to write in about the Sumum Temple in Salt Lake City, but it looks like somebody beat me to it. So I'll tell you all about our local Sphinx instead. The Sphinx is the most famous structure in the Gilgal Sculpture Garden, a collection of surreal sculptures inspired by Mormon doctrine. A Mormon bishop named Thomas Battersby Child began hauling granite from the nearby mountains and carving these sculptures in his backyard in 1945. It didn't become open to the public until a few years ago, and even now it's hard to spot as it's located behind some houses in a quiet neighborhood. I stumbled upon it by accident when I was in college and had no idea what I was looking at. The Joseph Smith Sphinx is definitely the standout sculpture, and it's just what it sounds like, an Egyptian-style Sphinx with the face of Joseph Smith. But there are plenty of other weird gems throughout the garden, including random sculptures of human organs and limbs scattered throughout the flowers. Not sure how those connect to Mormon doctrine. You should definitely look up some pictures or check it out if you're ever in Salt Lake City. I also wanted to make a minor correction to something said by Molly about Joseph Smith talking to a lizard on your latest episode. Not because it's particularly important, there are equally weird things in Mormon history and doctrine, but because it connects to an interesting story. I think she's referring to the Salamander Letter, a document forged by a man named Mark Hoffman in the 80s. He made a fortune forging controversial Mormon historical documents and selling them to church leaders who were anxious to cover up the more unsavory elements of Mormon history. The document offers an alternate version of what Mormons call the first vision, in which Joseph Smith was supposed to be appointed the leader of Christ's new church. In the standard version, Jesus and God appeared to Joseph Smith to relay this message, but in the salamander letter, it was a talking salamander. There are multiple versions of this first vision in Mormon history, so the church has tried to cover up any that don't conform to their current teachings. When Mark Hoffman found that the authenticity of his forged documents was being questioned, he ended up murdering two people with homemade bombs. He's still in prison in Utah. Wow, that came from Avery. Thank you so much for the night email, Avery. Um, Lots to talk about here. That sculpture garden sounds like annihilation. Doesn't it? Sounds amazing. Yeah, it does. With the organs and the limbs and stuff growing out of them. Powerful image. Yeah. And Joseph Smith's face on a sphinx. That's so funny. Yeah. There's nothing that looks sillier, truly, than a human face of a recognizable human on a sphinx. I mean, why not do it more? What a great idea. (laughs) 
I love a Sphinx. Um, I don't know why also they would connect Joseph Smith to the Sphinx. Yeah. Unless it was just a general, like, trying, you know, in the style of antiquity. The thing I think that's so interesting about Mormonism, though, is that it is so recent that a lot of it is, it's all from the 20th century, which I didn't know until uh, a friend of mine wrote a musical about the Mormon church right before the South Park musical about the Mormon church came out. But when he was writing it, he would like tell us all this stuff about the founding of Mormonism and the teacher would be like, oh, amazing uh, fabulation there. And he'd be like, no, this is all real. (laughs) (laughs) What was the musical called? I forget what it was called, but it was my friend Sean Hallowell. Oh, yeah. He grew up in the Pacific Northwest around a lot of Mormons. And he said, they're all the nicest people in the world, which is what everybody says about Mormons, that they're like incredibly nice. Oh, yeah. I I have a friend um, who her husband has comes from a large, uh, very observant Mormon family. And her wedding wasn't, I mean, they, everybody partied in a, in Mormon style and everybody was so nice. Um, I would love to learn more about Mormonism. What I know is mostly comes from the mommy blogs I read belonging to Morgan Mo- Mormon moms. There's a lot of fucked up stuff, obviously, as with yes. most religions. There's some very racist stuff in the original doctrine, although I think modern Mormons maybe don't buy into that as much. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think the the strict doctrine obviously is very unfriendly and hostile to, you know, the gay community. And there are a lot of things that are very, you know, that exclude people from going back to the church based on, I mean, in a way, I guess that maybe I'm confusing it with Seventh-day Adventism, which is like similar. I, I know people who are just like, oh, I don't believe the bad stuff. Like, I forge my own path. That's probably true of any religion, right? Yeah. There's got to be like reform, reformist, you know, Mormons the way there are like Catholics who are Reformans. Yeah. Yeah. Just into the the parts that you like. Well, isn't it there's like cafeteria Catholicism where it's you treat it like a buffet and take what works and leave what doesn't. I've never heard that, but I like it a lot. Cafeteria Catholic. (laughs) Um, A lot of my extended family, they're cafeteria Catholics where they're uh, pro-choice, but Yeah, I think we've just talked about this on the show before, but like the idea of making a religion more inclusive by staying in it rather than just uh, bouncing and, you know, completely just getting getting rid of it from your thoughts, which I don't think anyone who's raised religious could actually do. Right. Yeah. You've been thinking a lot about Salt Lake City yourself, Molly. Oh, my God. You're on a journey. (laughs) I'm on a journey. The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City premiered this week. And it was absolutely insane. I would love to know if any listeners watched it um, because it was bananas. This was the premiere episode was this week, correct? Yes. And you watched it twice? I watched it twice because it's so insane. Okay. I have some secret behind the scenes information about it. Are you going to share it with us? I'll share it with the audience. Um, Somebody, I have an inside source who told me that They filmed an entire season of the show, and it came out so boring that they didn't know what to do. They were like, do we have to just scrap this because it came out so boring and undramatic? I assume that the first iteration was Mormon mommy bloggers, what you would expect from a Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, a bunch of like very well-groomed white blonde women, you know, who secretly have secrets or something. I think what they what happened was that they hired a bunch of Mormon housewives and they turned out to be so unbelievably boring and undramatic that the show was like not good at all because they didn't do any of the things you need housewives to do, probably also because they don't drink alcohol. So you can't right. depend on any of the normal housewife setups for like get everybody really drunk at a dinner party and then they'll fight. Yeah. Or maybe they were just hoping they would be passive aggressive and sober. But they didn't do, they were just so boring that they threw out an entire film season and started over from scratch and cast a bunch of people that are not necessarily Mormons uh, or even live in Salt Lake City, but are all crazy reality TV people. So they just imported, they like cast it. They cast, I mean, that's what they do anyway, you know, like, and, and, the 
the place of where the show takes place, like the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills at this point, they all live in the Valley. I don't think any of them live in Beverly Hills anymore. Right. They live in Pasadena and Encino and Calabasas. But, you know, the name, the name is sort of what gets you in. So Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, a bunch of them live in Park City and are mm-hmm. involved in throwing parties for Sundance. But basically, instead of a bunch of Mormon mommy bloggers, what, as you would expect, they found a bunch of people who were excommunicated from the Mormon church for various reasons, and then a bunch of people who just aren't Mormon at all. I mean, it, they didn't promise it would be Mormon. They just promised it would be Salt Lake. They just promised it would be Salt Lake. And I think their their impulse that the Salt Lake Mormons would be like catty and dramatic was totally wrong because that's not what Mormon culture is like Mm -hmm. at all. I think it's like against that. So they cast, yeah, they just found like the most reality TV people. Um, So one of them is... Married to her step-grandfather. Excuse? What? Really? Yes. That is the big, that is the craziest part. Yeah. There's a woman who's a Pentecostal minister. Her name Uh is Mary Crosby. And she married her step-grandfather, which was in her grandmother's will that she should marry her step-grandfather. What? Because... He owned this Pentecostal ministry, and it was like, so she could inherit it, and the grandmother wanted her to inherit it. But then I was reading a lot of internet gossip boards, and a lot of them were implying that this guy might have killed his wife in order to marry his granddaughter, because her death seemed very sketchy. (laughs) What? Really? Yes. And people were like, why would anyone go on this show? Like, this is all just going to come out now. Right. Is he very old? Yeah, he's, he's, he's not. I think it's like he married the grandmother when she was older and he was 22. Okay. So now he's older, but he's married to his granddaughter. Wow, that's wild. Is the granddaughter young, like in her 20s? No, I mean, she's not young now, but uh, she is like... A Pentecostal pastor, and uh, that is what the church wanted her to do, she said. But I imagine that they were like, this is what people think where they're going to get on a, on a Mormon Salt yeah. Lake City. They're going to get somebody who's in a, a weird marriage or, you know, married to multiple people or married to somebody older in their family. And they clearly couldn't find anybody Mormon who was willing to do that on camera. So they got this woman, Mary Crosby. She's incredible. In the first episode, she has an entire fight with somebody about how she told them they smelled like hospital. <laughs> wow. That's because, unkind. And she was like, sorry, I just hate when people smell like hospital because it reminds me of when I was in the hospital. And she was like, I can just tell. And she, she doesn't say a hospital. She just keeps saying hospital. I just That's know very people- Canadian. Yeah. So... This other woman is like, well, I was at the hospital, but I wasn't inside, but my aunt got her legs amputated. And the other woman was like, well, I don't care. You just smelled like hospital. I couldn't be around that. Wow. Um, So that's one thing that happens. Another thing that happens is like there is a woman who was excommunicated from the Mormon church because she had an affair. She and her husband have a vow renewal in the first episode where they're like, now we can finally get married in front of all of our friends after like living in sin for 20 years or 10 years as a couple. Um, And she looks like she came from the factory where they made Lala from Vanderpump Rules, who's also from Utah. Mm -hmm. Um, The woman factory? You mean? The the Utah woman factory. Uh Um, But yeah, it's like they basically just used it as a framework, but they they knew, I think Bravo just knew they had promised, like, this is going to be the craziest housewives ever. Yeah. And so they threw out a whole season, uh, allegedly, because it didn't turn out crazy at all. And then they clearly cast for just like, who are the craziest people we can find to put on TV? And boy, did they find them. Well, I just love it, too, because it's like glamorous Salt Lake City, Utah. You know, it's like, it's quite beautiful. It's so beautiful. It actually is very appealing to me as somebody who likes to see winter 
you know, snow porn. Yeah. It looks amazing. Um, but yeah, I watched the pilot twice because it was nuts. And, I'm very impressed. And just a good get your mind off things into just a total insanity zone. <laughs> OPP, other people's problems. It's yeah. very appealing right now. I think also it's just like when they launch a new Housewives, they it's like the people aren't self-aware enough usually to be protective of their themselves. They're just excited to be on TV. Mm-hmm. And then after a couple seasons, people start getting more protective and more aware of how they come off on TV and how they'd like to come off on TV. And they're doing this thing now that's like very interesting, but not good for the shows necessarily, where they're trying to sort of adjust to the times and the mm. political climate. So they've been bringing up current events on the shows. Like obviously COVID comes up on all the seasons that are still happening, but also Black Lives Matter. And their attempt to sort of shoehorn, poli- you know, real politics and cultural criticism into the show has been like very awkward and bad across the board. Yeah. (laughs) Cause it's so abrupt. It's like, clearly these people are not politically involved really, or, you know, it's also, I mean, when you, when being on the show and having a story arc relies almost completely on having your guard down and just sort of being a little bit of a, a free, free wheeling, character where you're just speaking your mind and then all of a sudden you have something that has actual gravitas and you probably just kind of clam up or freak out. Sure. Yeah. And I think especially for like the the shows that aren't, you know, that are the the black franchises of Housewives, it's like they put a lot more pressure on them to be mm-hmm. like representatives, you know, um, whereas the white housewives just kind of get to be like dumb broads and then occasionally be like oh covid is happening (laughs) (laughs) oh look at that we've got a little bit of covid and on orange county you have people that are covid deniers which Mm -hmm. i wish they would show more of you know it's like if you're gonna get people on the show who are covid deniers and into QAnon, as kelly dodd on oc allegedly is but then they kind of like shoot around it and you're like no show us show us they have some responsibility to protect their cast because they would not be able to continue using their cast if they, you know, were completely let them just self-destruct on air. Right, I think. but it's like during COVID, there were people that were doing stuff that was clearly not okay and then still filming, you know? So mm-hmm. like this woman, Kelly Dodd, who's always been kind of nutty, but then she's like marrying a super racist, evil Fox News anchor. Mm-hmm. And they're having like a COVID wedding on the show. <laughs> Yikes. Um, I just feel like these shows are, I don't, I, again, I never think of them as being aspirational. I think of them as being like weird uh, Christopher Guest movies about mm-hmm. just like fun mishavishams of all kinds. Yeah. Um, but Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, so far, Strapped in. I'm almost strapped in. (laughs) Buckle up. Um, Well, we should take a quick break. And then when we come back, we will be talking about dreams. Prophetic dreams. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. 
how this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes... I guess identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we are talking about dreams this month and... uh, and we thought we would talk a little bit about prophetic dreams. I recently, I don't know if um, our listeners saw this, but there was a representative from Louisiana who tweeted, uh, this was back in October, that his wife, quote, has the gift of premonition. Um, and so the whole tweet reads, my wife has the gift of premonition. Last night, she dreamed that federal squads were in our home seizing guns, knives, unauthorized foods and stored water. They said we had been reported. Becca awoke crying. What happened to our freedom, she asked. What indeed? What indeed? What indeed? I don't think this person really had this dream. No, I don't think so either. And I don't think that it's going to come true either. Uh, But prophetic dreams, there are a couple of examples of prophetic dreams that were true. And I wrote about this a little bit in our last newsletter on Patreon, um, but one of them is Lincoln and his his is is quite famous. Apparently it was recorded by a friend of his um, uh, maybe what, two weeks before he was assassinated. He had a horrible dream where he was walking through the halls and um, everyone was he heard mourning sounds like crying and grieving. And then he eventually saw a body in a casket and he asked one of the mourners like who is that and they said it's the president and all of this was recorded and then two weeks later you know what happened next so scary yeah yeah molly it looks like you said three days prior to his assassination um and his friend was named ward hill lamon lamon i don't know lincoln has some friends he's got some buds (laughs) lincoln has friends um 
There was also Julius Caesar, but this was in um, in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar that his wife had a dream of him being killed. But uh, my daughter has these books. They're called Macmillan Starter Books, I think. And they're from like the 60s and 70s. And they were hand-me-downs. They're really beautiful books and very, very dated. So like every page you have to be like, okay, that's... Ignore what that said. Or you have to like change... You know, it's like the men work hard in the field and the woman cooked food. And you're just like, ah, geez. But one of these books is about sleep. And it's a very soothing book. But then it starts in the middle. It gets really goth. And it's like some people sleep on nails and that has a picture of a man on nails where you're just like go to sleep some people sleep on nails and then the next page it's like julius caesar's wife dreamed that he would die and she told him and then he did die and there's a picture of her like kind of telling him and him being like what well no wonder your daughter is so goth well she likes this my son would have been so upset i remember the first time i read it i was like i'm sorry that's not real (laughs) Don't just ignore that and go to sleep. And she was like, no, it's fine. Um, But that, but then, yeah. Did MLK maybe have a prophetic dream about being assassinated as well? Um, He had a dream. He had a dream. I think some people, I mean, with somebody like Lincoln or Julius Caesar or MLK, it's like you have, you're probably already paranoid that somebody might try to assassinate you. That's that's what I think happened with Lincoln. I think he just he just kind of knew he had a well, he had a weird like, vibe. I have anxiety dreams about like things that could happen to me. Mm-hmm. You know, if I were Abraham Lincoln, maybe I'd have an anxiety dream about someone trying to assassinate me. High stakes career, high, high stakes problems, high stakes problems. There was Hi- also um, the Titanic had some prophetic dreams going on there, right? Yeah, somebody who survived the Titanic, a New York lawyer named Isaac Frauenthal, had a dream before boarding the Titanic that he, here's the dream, he said, it seemed to me that I was on a big steamship that suddenly crashed into something and began to go down. And then he had the dream again on board the Titanic and was alert to the danger when he heard about the iceberg collision and then survived the sinking of the Titanic. Again, this to me feels like unverifiable like did this person have prophetic dreams or did he say that after he survived the titanic sinking in order to get publicity for being a survivor of the titanic and then there's all these people who say that works of art came to them in dreams which also seems very hard to verify but i mean wouldn't you if you had a really interesting dream wouldn't you then want to you were like that was an interesting dream almost like watching a great movie perhaps i should make that happen but my dreams never make sense in that way you know the narrative of my dreams is like more like the narrative of a video game it's like you're trying not to die in some situation Mm -hmm. you know all of my dreams let's talk about recurring dreams for a second my recurring dreams are always like i have to find my car in a giant parking garage oh god yeah which is That's like relatable. not a good movie. Wouldn't be an interesting movie. Might be stressful. Be like yeah. that Seinfeld episode. I mean, I my dreams. So Tony Soprano's dreams. He has that. There's that one episode of The Sopranos um, called The Test Dream, where it's like he's back at school, you know, and has to take a test, and then he's like on a horse walking through. There's a, such a great scene where he walks. He's on the horse riding through his living room, and Carmela was like, "Tone." You're like, you got to get the horse out of here, Tone. Uh, and a lot of, I, I find that in my dreams, it's mostly just me doing things that are very absurd and people kind of recoiling. It's you being the Tony and the Carmella. <laughs> yeah. People being like, what is she doing? And you're um, like, I'm Kevin Finnerty. Yeah, always. Leave um, me alone. Also, I didn't realize for the longest time, I think this was in like, the Sopranos book, which we also own. Um, Kevin, Kevin Finnerty, Kev Infinity. Ooh, never mm. thought about that. You know, what <laughs> I just thought about for the first time. So my friend Lily named her daughter Meadow. I saw. Yeah. Well, because she was like, I hear the names I'm thinking of. One of them is Meadow. And I was like, don't name your daughter Meadow. She, you know, you don't want her to become Meadow Soprano. And she was like, well, I've never seen the show. So I just don't know. And I was like, well, you have to see the show. And then we watched the show and then I flipped and I was like, you must name your daughter Meadow Supreme. Meadow's got an incredible arc. She Meadow's does have an the incredible real hero arc. of that show um, in but many I, ways. I also realized for the first time that her name is Meadow because 
the Meadowlands, Meadowlands Jersey. Arena. Yeah, or just is the that really why? Well, because of the Meadowlands, like Jersey is called the Meadowlands. Oh, but I just m- thought Meadowlands Arena. Yeah, and just to my brain, it, it sounded like a California hippie name. It was like mm-hmm. when you name your kids something naturey, and then yeah. you have an ethnic last name at the end. That's just like a lot of people in California. So. I mean, I know of there's I know a bunch of rivers. Um, a lot of like there's you know I've no, uh, there are minnows. Well, we talked reds. about India Oxenberg a lot, but just that yeah. thing of like, an you know a hippy dippy first name and then just like a regular last name. Well, I grew up with Parsley Tomato Steinweiss. That's a great name. And I was like, that's a great name. Parsley Tomato? Parsley, middle name Tomato, last name <sighs> Steinweiss. Shout out to Parsley Tomato Steinweiss. Um, I'm, I'm celebrating your name. It was like my first unique name that I ever knew. Well, that's and a good one too. It's a great name. Obviously in Silver Lake, there's like lots of like seemingly unique names, but everybody has them, you know? Yes, that's true. When I worked at Trader Joe's, I would always ask what people's kids are named because they would always be silly. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to know. (laughs) (laughs) You wanted Um, to partake in the silliness. I Um, did. So yeah, some famous works of art that people claim to have dreamed or been inspired to write by dreams. uh, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. uh, The Rime of the Ancient Mariner. He stoppeth one of three. He stoppeth one of three. Although that was really an opium binge. So, really? Well, he said it was an opium. He was smoking opium and then he like it came to him and then he like forgot it. He woke up and forgot it or something uh-huh. and tried to write down what he could remember. But some of these things I think are, are foundation myths that people come up with after they've right. written a thing to try and promote the thing to be like, it came to me in a dream. Mm-hmm. James Cameron said the idea for the Terminator came to him in a dream. And uh, Paul McCartney said he heard the riff for Yesterday in a dream. And Keith Richards heard the riff for Satisfaction in a dream. I can't imagine hearing music that I'd never heard before in a dream. That seems like it should be impossible. But maybe if you were a musician and you're thinking about stuff all the time, like that. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. If that's what's in your subconscious and if your dreams are just your brain kind of vomiting up your subconscious. Mm hmm. Although, yeah, what was really interesting reading about dreams is that there's absolutely no consensus on their purpose. I mean, I thought that they were sort of to help you process things, to help you kind of uncover your true feelings. That's just the theory, though. Nobody is sure. And so there are like three schools of thought. One is that, you know, with the prophetic dreams, especially the idea that it could either be divination, um, it could be your subconscious working things out, or it could just be a coincidence that you dream about something and then it happens or something similar happens. So I just saw that friend of pod, Ariana Lenarski, um, who did tarot readings at one of our meetups, she had been uh, interpreting people's dreams on Twitter and her interpretations, she, her tarot readings were spot on for us. I think yeah, all they of were, us felt they were very crazy. They were very unnerving almost, um, but she's was, doing great. a great job at interpreting dreams. I really like interpreting dreams, which I use no skill. I just Google, <laughs> but I like to do that. Um, but a lot of dreams, like the the losing of teeth dream, which I guess Freud thought was about like, lo- you know, becoming impotent or something. He thinks everything's about sex. Yes, it's true. Um, but I, I've had a lot of losing tooth, like horrible. My teeth are just crumbling out or like I have a really awful toothache and then it just, I'm eating something and my teeth all turn to dust kind of dreams. Um, and I've always had those dreams, I think, because I'm a dental phobe. Um, mm. Have you been having dreams about masking? You know, I had a dream, but this also happens in real life. Occasionally when I get out of my car and I forget my mask yes. and then there's this horrible moment of realization. So in, yeah, since COVID, there have definitely been a couple of times when it's like um, one of them, I was on an airplane and then was like, oh, I didn't pack a mask, but I'm already, we're already in the air and everyone's wearing masks and glaring at me and I'm trying to like put my face in my shirt and nothing's working and one of those awful like trying everything, but you suddenly have like a million thumbs and you can't operate your shirt I've definitely Uh, had the like in the dream I'm out in public and I suddenly realize that I'm not wearing a mask mm -hmm. and that I like need to be 
pretty mundane, though, because, again, it's like that does happen in real life. It does. Yeah. I think also when we've talked about this before that um, during COVID, our dreams are becoming so strange because our worlds are so small and the kind right. of stimulation that we normally would get from being out in the world and not so in our heads as we navigate the world thinking like, is this safe? Is this safe? Like, should I go into this store? You know, you're really there's a constant drowning out monologue going on about yeah. how to exist. And so our dreams have become kind of hyper-focused on details or it more internally driven. I have just sort of the same few anxiety dreams. And the one I've been having a lot recently is that I like am going, I'm moving into a dorm or a hotel room and I have to bring all my cats and like keep them from getting out. Ugh. Well, that also ties into... I mean, real experiences that you've had as well. Like one of your cats yes, got out briefly and was found. True. And that was a huge source of anxiety. And now it's something that you immediately think of. I A lot of times I have car crash dreams because um, the I was rear-ended a while ago. And then also, um, right, it was my kids' like last day of school before quarantine. I was driving my car and someone wanted to cut in front of me and they were in a huge truck. And I tr I paused to try and let them in and I thought they're going to scrape my car so I better go and they can get in behind me. And I started to go, but pretty slowly. And the car, he, he glared at me and he drove directly into the side of my car and my kid was in the backseat. And then I tried to like chase him uh, to get his license plate and I couldn't track him down. It was a whole big thing. But I the moment when your car gets hit, that like moment of impact and how yeah. your adrenaline surges and you can almost feel your legs tingling, it's so awful. That repeats in my dreams all the time. Oh, that's so scary. Yeah, yeah somebody rear-ended rear me last summer and I it totally like brought me back to zero on driving because then you just yeah. get, you start getting nervous about every little thing because it's like, if you think about all the things you're doing when you're driving, you'll go insane. You know, you mm -hmm. won't be able to do it because there's a lot of things you have to do. It has to be sort of autopilot. And then when you get in an accident, you start thinking about how dangerous driving is again. Well, you start realizing that everyone in their own little cars is dealing with the same amount of stress as you. Like maybe everyone secretly thinks I shouldn't be driving a car ever. I'm not qualified to do this. And then once you think of all those little bubbles on the road with people losing their minds inside, it's like, no, unsubscribe. <laughs> I do <laughs> also walk. I do also like follow a car, though, if I want to see like a bumper sticker. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't do it anymore. I followed um, a car like through Griffith Park the other day because it had a fake horse strapped to the back of a, of a truck. What? Why? I don't, I don't know. I, I just, um, I, I just like will drive around, you know, to, to relax. Mm -hmm. And I drove, I found where the police horses live oh. um, in Atwater. And I was like, Ooh, let's liberate the police horses. Um, but it was just funny. It was like I found a bunch, I found this corridor where there's a bunch of ranches. And I guess that's where all the horses that people take into Griffith Park come from. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of stables. And then I just was driving through Griffith Park and somebody had a fake horse tied to the back of the truck. This is like a thing that is in real life, but felt like a dream. You yes. Know? Well, there's, those are always, I love those moments when it feels dreamlike and you have to kind of wonder. The veil is thin. Yeah, but I was like, okay, I'm chasing some I'm chasing a fake horse through a park. That's also a very Tony Soprano dream. It's also just very Tony was, Soprano of me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna get like, your pie oh my. Yeah. I was like, what does it mean? And then it was like I caught up with them and it was like, well, it doesn't mean anything, yep. but it's really satisfying for some weird reason. I also followed a car through Glendale the other day because I was trying to see if they were flying a Trump flag or mm -hmm. a Dodger flag because you can't tell yep. sometimes that I was just curious and it turned out to be a Dodger flag. Thank God. Go Dodgers. Go Dodgers. I know Dodgers. you're a big sports fan, Molly. Um, our sports segment, RIP. RIP sports. <laughs> sports call. Um, well, I think that does it for this week. We will be back next week. And happy Friday the 13th, happy a few days late. Friday the 13th. And if you have any calls for us about recurring dreams, prophetic dreams, sphinxes with people's faces on them, the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, or hearing music in your mind that you have to write down, give us a night call at 240 469 
or an email at nightcallpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to review and subscribe. We love when you do that. Thank you so much. You can also follow us on social media. We are Nightcall Pod on Twitter, Nightcall Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for listening and we'll we'll see you in dreams. Bye. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast, will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.